Genesis 20 and 21 tonight. Still studying through the life of Abraham. Back in Genesis 12, there was a great famine, if you remember, and Abraham and, and uh, Sarah and Probably Lot went with him, it doesn't say, but uh, went to dwell in Egypt because of the famine. And uh, when they were about to enter into Egypt, Abraham says to Sarah, you know, tell these guys you're my sister because I got a feeling they're going to kill me so they can have you if they think you're my husband. And uh, the princes of Pharaoh did, in fact, see her, that she was beautiful and, and made a report to Pharaoh and Pharaoh takes her into his house. And he treats Abraham well for her sake and gives him all kinds of goods, sheep and oxen, servants, and so on. But the Lord plagues Pharaoh and his household because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Whatever the plague was, he knew it was from the Lord um, and uh, because he had taken Sarah. God had made a great name for Abraham like he said he would, and so I'm sure Pharaoh had heard of him. But... Uh, Whatever the plague was, he knew that God had done it. And Pharaoh sends, you know, he comes and says, you know, Abraham, what are you doing to me? And confronts him on it, and he sends them on their way with all the stuff that he gave them. So Abraham leaves Egypt with a bunch more sheep and oxen and servants. And now we've been through getting up past, uh, uh, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot, and so forth, and we get to chapter 20, and we'll just read through, let's say, 18 verses. Let's do the whole bit. And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. Here we go again. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her and said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And she even herself said, He's my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have, I have done this. And the Lord God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all of his servants, and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and all my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. And then Abimelech said to Abraham, did you, uh, What did you have in view that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought, Surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father. We didn't know that back when he went by Pharaoh. But not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, This is your kindness that you should do for me in every place, wherever we go. Say of me, he is my brother. And then Abimelech took sheep and oxen, male and female servants, and gave them to Abraham. 
And he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all um, who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. And so Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his female servants. Then they bore children, for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah his wife. Once again, for fear's sake, Abraham tells Sarah to say she's his sister. And now Abimelech takes her into his house. Only this time, God appears to Abimelech directly in a dream, and he says, you're a dead man. That got his attention. Um, Abimelech says to God that he had no idea. Sarah was Abraham's wife, and God says he knows he had integrity in all of this. And it's interesting because Abimelech hears from the Lord, and he uh, ends up giving Abraham more sheep and more oxen, more male and female servants. It seems like this trick that they got going on just seems to keep on bringing more sheep and oxen into their fold. I don't know if that was the intention, but, but Abimelech feared the Lord, and he heard from the Lord and uh, was able to say, Lord, I, I didn't touch her in the integrity of my heart. And the Lord honors that. And again, uh, here's where we see that Abraham is a prophet as well. Um, like Pharaoh, you know, Abimelech goes and asks Abraham and Sarah, why did you do this? And it was because of fear. Um, you know, the world around us would want to uh, take what the Lord has given to us as well. We shouldn't have to fear. We shouldn't have to keep it back. We shouldn't have to hide anything from the world uh, around us. There should be no fear in us about anything because the Lord can deal with it. And in the same way, you know, what would have been like if, if uh, you know, Abimelech did take Sarah? What would have happened to the covenant? Um, you know, Abimelech must have kept her over a period of time. And uh, because it takes a while to notice that all the women of the house were unable to conceive. But what does this chapter tell us about the promise of the child to Abraham and Sarah? If, if Abimelech would have taken Sarah, end of covenant, end of the promise. God had made that covenant with Abraham and his descendants by Sarah, not by Hagar. We learn that. And he would bring it to pass and nothing would be allowed to hinder and not Pharaoh, not Hagar, not Abimelech, not the king of Sodom who tried to compromise um, Abraham. And, um, you know, again, the moral of the story, if there will, or a lesson for us to learn is that, you know, we don't need to hide anything um, from the world thinking that somehow we need to fear that they're going to take it. Because they can't take anything from us that the Lord wouldn't allow. And um, he's made a promise to us, and we'll talk about that too. In the next chapter, chapter 21, just verses 1 through 7, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Boy, that verse alone. And for Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, 
who would have said to Abraham and Sarah, would nurse a children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. From Genesis 17, uh, verses 17 through 20, we know that Sarah was probably around 91 years old. This could not have been some fluke or some, you know, rare biological phenomenon. Uh, What made it possible for a 91-year-old woman to conceive who is way past the age of childbearing? By the word of God, it says plainly so. She was way past. Turn to Hebrews 11, because even Sarah makes it into the hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11. Verses 11 and 12. It says, by, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. By faith. And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and from him as good as dead, both were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Things said about Sarah, well, it was by faith. You know, how was this possible? It was by faith. She received strength. And when it talks about receiving strength, it's talking about receiving the ability when she was long past the age. God worked in her and she received that strength. By faith, it says in Hebrews, way past the edge. And, but she judged him faithful. She believed. She had that faith in God. You know, a lot of times we doubt ourselves. I doubt myself all the time. I, I think I don't have any faith. But I know he's faithful. And I can judge him faithful. And in doing so, that brings that faith about. That brings that ability to, to count him faithful and to rely on him and, and remember his promises. If you want to turn to Romans 4, more is said about Sarah. A few weeks back, we studied in Romans 4, verses 1 through 8, and the context of Romans chapter 4 is Abraham and his example of justification by faith. Um, And so that's the context here in in Paul teaching through Romans, justification by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. But verses 13 through 25 says, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there's no transgression. If the speed limit says 50, or doesn't say 55, you can drive as fast as you want. I think there's some parts of Montana like that. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. In 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, and who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already did, uh, already dead since he was about 100 years old and the dark uh, deadness of Sarah's womb 
He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced of what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore it is accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. From this passage alone we learn about Abraham. He was first of all in all these things we've studied, but promised to be the heir of the world through his descendants, through faith. It says here, not through the law. Remember, he was way before Moses. We studied the covenants. And Moses came some 400 years later. And uh, so there was no law. Abraham had faith, and it wasn't based on the law. And that righteousness by faith, and we've talked about that, uh, chapter 15, verse 6, uh, Genesis 15. It says he was the father of us all, including us. You know, we talk about the land of Israel. We talk about the Jewish people. And down through the Old Testament, the Jewish people. But by faith, he is our father. And it doesn't exclude them. And that's what he says here. Um, also with those of the law. We are also his descendants by faith. And then it says he did not become weak in faith. He counted his own body as good as dead. And he also you know, had to contemplate this fact. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. He had to see plainly the inability to have children at all, and yet still contemplated God's promise through all of this. You know, that's, that's a man who walks with God, because we look at our daily lives and we deal with what we've been given. You know, you get what you get and you don't what you don't, and you, you just take what you have and you live in contentment with that, but then there's a promise, and we have that a promise as well that we'll talk about. But he contemplates this promise. He's 100 years old, what was the promise? What did, he, what did he contemplate about that promise? Well, he didn't waver. He grew strong, it says. And he gave God glory even before it took place, knowing that God was able. He was assured, it says, that God was able. And then it says faith was credited as righteousness. Now, what does Paul, who wrote uh, Romans by the Holy Spirit, in other words, what does God say? In all of this, um, first of all, God made Abraham father of all the nations. It was through grace, again, that that promise was guaranteed. Because when it's grace, it's because it's on God's side of things. God's the one that made the promise. And the covenant was made, you know, uh, between God and Abraham. But the, the, the balance of it was on the Lord to perform it. He had to do this miracle. In fact, remember, Abraham tried to do it in his own strength, and he couldn't. And it turned out to be a great mistake and caused trouble for centuries to come because of it with Ishmael. But it was through grace that the promise was guaranteed, God's grace, God's gift, and God gives life to the dead. And this gets real in a couple of chapters. Abraham believed this, but in a couple of chapters, he's going to raise a knife to take Isaac's life. In faith, that somehow God's going to create something out of something that doesn't exist. And uh, that he can either bring Isaac back to life or he's got something else going on. 
You know, he calls into being, it says in Romans 4, he calls into being that which does not exist. The same God who raised Jesus from the dead, God is able to perform what he says. Jesus for us was delivered over for our transgressions and raised because of our justification, it says in the last few verses of Romans 4. I guess I wrote this in such a way to try and word it, I don't know how, but just to ask that you be real honest with yourself, thinking about just your one-on-one with the Lord and your relationship with him, and ask yourself, what has God promised to you? If you think about it in your heart of hearts, what has God promised to you? Is your lack of ability like Abraham and Sarah's and the deadness of their bodies, is it laughable like when God told Abraham and Sarah laughed and, and Abraham fell on his face and laughed again and says, can't Ishmael live before you, Lord? Is it laughable that uh, God would take a dead and useless sinner like me, who's nothing but dust, and promise you know, his uh, forgiveness from sin, his re- the resurrection and uh, eternal life? that he would count us righteous and justified simply for believing. You know, in our heart of hearts, you know, he's ministered to you. You wouldn't be sitting here, you know, provided your motives are just to get to know the Lord. You wouldn't be sitting here if he hasn't shown you something in your life, something that only he can do. And, um, you know, draw, draw close to that. And grab onto that with the kind of faith that the Lord has given you, be it a small mustard seed of faith, you know, and here we are right now, waiting on that promise, waiting on him to return like he promised, he said he would, he promised what he's able to perform, here we are walking in repentance, why, well because he's promised to come for us, why walk in that, the world anymore, he's promised to wash us, he's promised to sanctify us, he's promised to justify us, and this is all good doctrine, but it's only words if, you know, unless it's made alive by the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what do I mean by that? If you want to go back to Genesis 21, verses 8 to 21. <clears throat> so the child grew <clears throat> and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. And therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely Isaac. And the matter very, was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the latter, because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman, because he's your seed. And so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and the skin of water, and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it to the boy, and she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up, She placed the boy under one of the shrubs, and when she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bowshot, for she said to herself, Let me not see the death of the boy. 
So she sat opposite of him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. And then the angel of, the, of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and lay hold of him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. And so God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So what happens on the day that Abraham makes a feast for Isaac? You know, first thing out of the gate, Sarah's looking around, and here's Ishmael mocking. Now, this is when Isaac was weaned, and you, know, you look it up, and kids are weaned anywhere from a year to some five years. Let's just say he was around two to four years old. Ishmael is already now 15 years plus, maybe 15 to 17 years old. And so here's Sarah and sees this teenager over there mocking her son. And now here's Isaac getting all the love and attention of Abraham and everyone he knows. And he's, he knows he's blessed. He's the heir that uh, God had promised. And so Sarah says to Abraham, cast him out. This is the son of a bondwoman, will not be an heir with my Isaac. And Abraham distresses. He's been raising this kid. He's been, you know, he asked the Lord, can Ishmael live before, live before you, Lord? He's 15, 17 years old now, and here's Abraham has been raising this kid. And you know how, you know, you get a bond with your father, and here he is, his only son. And a father-son bond. And, you know, to say that he's got to be cast out is distressing. This displeased Abraham. But God tells Abraham, he says, don't be displeased. Listen to Sarah. Isaac is the heir of promise. Isaac is your seed. In Isaac, your seed will be called. And it says, God will still make a nation of Israel because he is your seed. And you know that we were talking about it in the prayer room, a couple of things that didn't even occur to me, but he was a bow shot away when Hagar sat across from him, and then he turns out to be an archer. I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not, but seemed like uh, that was a distance the way they marked it back then. But also, how gracious is God? You know, he promised for Abraham's sake, because he was a descendant of Abraham's sake, that he would uh, become a great nation. And uh, we'll read about it, that uh, 12 princes would come from Ishmael, and he would be a great nation. In fact, it talks about being innumerable. But they dwelt in Paran, and... um, but he says, uh, Abraham, Isaac is the seed. It's through his descendants, his seed would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Through Isaac, your descendants will be named. In other words, there's going to be a knowing of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and we'll get on to where we're talking about Jacob, the God of Israel. is always known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the God that we worship. That's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this means God, who is the creator of heaven, namely the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, the God who brings the seed that was promised to Eve, now through Abraham, who God chose, the seed that would bless all the families of the earth. So it is God who makes this distinction between Isaac and the descendants of Ishmael. But there's a lesson here. 
what is said so far and what we've studied tonight in the past few weeks about Hagar, just from the list, put together a list of everything you learn about Hagar. Well, she was the Egyptian handmaid to Sarah. Sarah gives her to Abraham, conceives, Ishmael is born. She despises Sarah once she has Ishmael because uh, she's the mother of Abraham's only son at the time. But she's treated harshly by Sarah, fled to the wilderness, leaves Ishmael to die in the, the first time, but found by an angel of the Lord, told to return and submit to her mistress, Sarah. But then she's already promised descendants through Ishmael. The Lord heeded her affliction, it says. And then at that point she calls God, you are the one who sees, you are the God who sees. Now this time cast out again by Sarah goes and dwells in Paran in the wilderness. That's pretty much everything we know about Hagar. What do we know about Ishmael, son of Hagar, the handmaid? Would be a nation for Abraham's sake. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. He would be a wild man. His hand would be against every man and vice versa. Every man's hand would be against him. Just out of the gate, just walking down the street. And when he's 13 years old, Abraham asks God to let him live before him. You know, you, you remember stuff from when you were 13 years old. Ishmael remembers that. His descendants would be 12 princes and a great nation. He also got circumcised because he was part of Abraham's household. Again, not because of the covenant with Ishmael, but with the covenant with Abraham that anybody in his household, whether it's a bought servant or slave, would get circumcised, and we studied that. He's about uh, 13 years old when Isaac is born, 15 to 17 years old when Isaac was weaned. He mocks Isaac at his celebration and feast. He's cast out with Hagar to dwell in the wilderness of Paran. He becomes an archer, and his mother finds him a wife from Egypt. This is the list. There's a significance here for us. Uh, The lives of Hagar and Ishmael and their relationship to Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. For that, we turn to Galatians 4. How do you like that? We're already through all of our cross-references. We're just going to read... Verses 21 through 31. I suppose I should turn there. I'm looking at the wrong chapter. Um, Chapter 4, 21 to 31. Just backing up a little bit, the context in Galatians, and we were there a while back, um, Paul would go through and he would teach in uh, the cities that he'd go through. Galatia was a region. Ephesus was there. um, Philippi was there. Thessalonica. They were all in this region uh, and Galatia might be kind of like the state or the region around there. And the Pharisees would follow him, and the Judaizers would follow him around, and they would start trying to get people to, to obey the law. Well, you can't just get saved without getting circumcised and without you know, following these rituals that we had all built up in these traditions of men. And so Paul is, is appealing to the Galatians not to finish what they had started in the Spirit by the works of the flesh. And so, verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who has, was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through the promise. Which things are symbolic? For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to the bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and 
corresponds to Jerusalem, which is now, is and in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem from above, which is the mother of us all, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of the promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now, these Pharisees chasing Paul around, and he was being beaten up and left for dead outside the town. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but the free. Again, the context, those believers that were trying to return to the law, bringing them into slavery, into legalism, and a righteousness by works rather than by grace. And so he talks about the two sons of Abraham and what they represent. Paul says these are two covenants. And we studied the covenants a few weeks back. The covenant with Abraham, that God would give him a descendants and the land as an inheritance, any righteousness by faith. And the covenant in the law that was given to Moses 400 years later, a righteousness by the law, which nobody could keep. So nobody really was becoming righteous through the law. He says that these are in a contrast to each other. Sarah and Hagar, the free woman, the bondwoman, the Jerusalem from above, which he says is a symbol of, uh, of the mother of us all, because Isaac was the heir of the promise by Sarah, the wife of Abraham. Um, Hagar, the bondwoman, was a symbol of the slavery to the law. Now, the word symbol there is the word allegoria, and that sounds familiar, I'm sure, but believe it or not, that is the only time in the New Testament that word is used, and it's the word we get allegory from. Now, there's a lot of error in doctrine these days because men allegorize the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, the book of Thessalonians, uh, Romans 9, 10, and 11. They allegorize so that some teach that the church has completely replaced Israel and, and will uh, inherit all the promises past, present, and future. And there is no more Israel, and they believe it's basically preterism, it's, it's replacement theology, and they basically teach that the, the nation of Israel over on the, the Mediterranean Sea this day that we live in, is, they're just a bunch of terrorists, and they have nothing to do with Bible prophecy or anything like that. And boy, if you guys watch the news, um, it's no longer just the Syrian jets that are fighting back and patrolling. Now it's Russian jets shadowing the Syrian jets that are flying right up against the Golan Heights. We are so close to Ezekiel 38, 39. Uh, whatever is going to trip that trigger is as much a hot seat as Putin's on right now. But you don't allegorize things that... Um, the Bible doesn't tell you to allegorize. That word allegoria shows up once. And what it means is uh, a representation of a spiritual meaning through an actual past event or real circumstances. Now, it's similar to parables, but parables, are used, they use a common thing like uh, a sower goes out to sow a seed. And the parable is about different kinds of soil or a, uh, a lost pearl or a fig tree that bears or doesn't bear fruit. 
Um, with Hagar and Sarah, it's God's eternal promised seed. This is a real story. It's a real historical fact. It's, it's an allegory about a situation uh, that actually took place and even has to do with the seed that the allegory refers to when it comes to us. And so I guess my, my little sidetrack there is don't allegorize things that the Bible doesn't allegorize. Um, so with Sarah and Hagar, the law given on Mount Sinai that they even couldn't keep, couldn't even keep, and how the religious Jerusalem, he talks about uh, the Jerusalem that was at the time of Jesus when Paul wrote this, and also when Paul wrote this, was keeping them in bondage to the laws and traditions of men. Even as Jesus pointed out to the religious leaders, he would say, you know, you guys are, they would lay heavy burdens and strict traditions on the people that they themselves couldn't even do. And they would strain at the tiniest details, but were unable to keep the more important issues, Jesus said, like love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. Isaac was the son of promise and with great joy. And because when Abraham and Sarah were beyond the ability it was God who enabled her to conceive something only God can do, a gift that was beyond their works or strength. God gets the glory. The God that calls into being that which did not exist. And again, this is a symbol of the Jerusalem from above, not the Jerusalem of the law of the Pharisees of Paul's day. Beyond anything of this world, he says, this is the, this is the promise that Jerusalem from above. Therefore, he says, rejoice. We are the sons and daughter of promise, like Isaac, because we trusted in the promise like Abraham did. That's, you know, the promise of the Messiah. And when, like I said, consider in your own heart what it is that God promised you that you know for a fact. And you know, it might be because you read his word and, and he proved to you and impressed on you and that's what you believe. And you know, the Bible says, to Jesus said to, to Thomas when he, when he proved who he was and Thomas got to see the holes in his side and the holes in his hands. He said, blessed are you, Thomas, because you believe now. But blessed are those that saw nothing and yet they believe. You and me. And we, we believe because we, we heard the word of God and we believed it. God worked in us. You know, we're the children of God because we trust in Jesus Christ. Those that trust in their own works or trust in their conditions or their traditions, I should say, they're cast out like the bond woman, the bond woman, the slave, the slave to the law. That's what Paul is saying in Romans 4. We're set free from all that because we are the heirs of promise in Christ Jesus. It was by God's power, by the Holy Spirit, that Sarah conceived and Isaac was born. It's by the Holy Spirit that we are born again, and that with great joy. You know, the day after I got baptized, I think I was born again prior to that, but the day after I got baptized, I, could, I was the kind of guy that would condemn myself about everything. Every single thing was my fault, and I could have fixed it, and I probably still do that too much these days, but um, I couldn't find a single thing to, to complain about the next day. I remember riding to the job site over in Fremont with about five other, you know, custom-swearing construction workers in the car, you know, and, and I'm just as happy as can be. Just can't even imagine how this joy can, can exist in the midst of, you know, knowing what I was. And I couldn't even, couldn't even bring an accusation against myself. That's the joy that the Lord gave me. 
And you know, that fades and he starts to let us start to walk on our own and we have to believe it by faith as time goes by. Um, but you know, he does meet us where we're at. And he knows what we need when we need it. He's so faithful to us. But you know, don't seek to come. It's, it's, so, it's especially true even after we fail and we blow it. It's so tempting to try and come by our own, we've got to fix this somehow. Um, you know, but we're saved. We cannot accomplish anything by sweat and labor and works. Um, it's a lesson for us. Don't seek to come to God by the law like some of the Galatians were doing. Instead, come by the cross. And where there is access to the throne of our gracious and merciful God. Especially when you fail, like I said, because that alone should tell us we're unable to do anything of our own strength. And just come to him. And really just to finish up Genesis 21, we'll go back. And as we went through chapter 20, learning about Abimelech, just 22 through 34. And it came to pass at the time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. He saw it. Now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land which, in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. And then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor have I heard it until today. And so Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set aside seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be a witness that I have dug this well. And therefore he called that place Beersheba because the two of them swore an oath there and they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Phicol and the commander of his army and they returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree or a grove of trees in Beersheba and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. Well, we learn here that Abimelech was a Philistine king. And, um, but we see how Abimelech recognizes that God is with Abraham. Remember, we studied, uh, the Lord said, I'll bless you, Abraham, and I'll make you a blessing to those around you. And um, it's interesting now, through this covenant, it's not any major thing. It's just between Abraham and Abimelech. And we'll see later on as we, as after Abraham passes on to be with the Lord, then uh, um, the, uh, Isaac has dealings once again with Abimelech and these wells. Um, but remember, Abraham was a sojourner. He wasn't putting down roots. He wasn't uh, marking off land and calling it his territory. God gave him the land, but he says, as long as you're here, you'll be a sojourner. And remember in the dream he told them in the vision that your kids are going to go into slavery for, for 400 years. And then after that they'll come out and they will have the land. But for now, Abram was just a sojourner. And uh, he lived in tents and moved around. And for this period of time he stayed in 
the land of the Philistines. Now, Abraham does, does have this issue about the well being dug. Um, you know, he dug at the well, but these guys confiscated it. And uh, Abraham, you know, they hash it out and make the covenant and all. Abraham plants a tree or a grove and calls on the name of the Lord. He calls him the everlasting God, and that is the eternal, without beginning, without end. As we wind up, you know, this is the God we call upon, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the everlasting God, able to do all he says he will do, even though our lives might have been laughable. And... You know, to think of what that he promised us, even the fact that we were totally dead and useless sinners. And he worked in us, and he's promised to work in us. And the promise, you know, that he made, eternal life, that we can dwell with him. And um, he made it through, a, through our Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word, and um, again, as always, just asking that you would uh, allow it to work in us, to build our faith, that we would know you more as we go through your word. And we could also, uh, as you said, that we're, we're called your friends and not your servants any longer because you don't hide anything from us. And you called Abraham your friend, a friend of God, and we ask that you would be continuing to give us that peace and that uh, the faith to be able to just walk in that friendship that you've given us. And we just lift that up to you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.